We are going to be reading from the 24th chapter of Joshua today. So before we begin our message, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up. If you say, hey, David, I, I forgot my Bible, that's not a problem. If you have a phone, you have a Bible. Please either open up your browser um, and type in BibleGateway.com, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, open that up. And if you would prefer a physical Bible and don't have one, if you raise your hand, um, one of our ushers can help get you a Bible. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, this is a great time to be thinking, hey, we'd love to get you a Bible. Just let us know after the service, free of charge. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to get you reading. We'd love to get you in a Bible reading plan. This is a great time to dive into the Word as we're entering a new season. Always a great time, so don't feel weird. If you're like, hey, I don't have a Bible but want one, we want to get you one. The Lion King, probably, there's, when, when we're looking at the great movies, there's like The Godfather, Star Wars, Casablanca, The Lion King, right? Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. And I think it, for me, it was especially formative because The Lion King came out when I was literally like five years old. So I was the perfect age for it. And I continue to be the perfect age for it because let's be honest, it's the greatest movie of all time. And it's the only movie we should watch. Um, though truth be told, I tried watching it with my nearly two-year-old, and she thought the hyenas were terrifying. But that's another sermon for another day. But The Lion King, here's a fun thing about The Lion King. Who, let, let's make sure we'll do our, uh, I'm, about, I'm a teacher, we're about to get in a school year, so I like to know the background level of knowledge. So just raise your hand if you've seen The Lion King. I think that's like nearly every hand. So that's good. So I can take the review way down. So I'll go very light review. Um, but let's just think of this. The Lion King is based on a famous play. Can anyone shout out what the famous play is? This is the one time I'll ask you a question. What play is The Lion King based on? Hamlet. Well done, Mr. Mitchell. Okay. So The Lion King is based on Hamlet. And in The Lion King, Let's, let's think about this. You got this cub Simba, lion cub Simba, and they're singing, and there's Elton John, and it's terrific, right? Again, greatest movie of all time. Um, so he's, this little lion cub is kind of coming to terms with his life, and he's growing up, and he's learning about cycles. We'll come back to this. He's learning about the circle of life. Um, I think of these as life's loops. We'll come back to that. But so he's going through all this, and he's learning from his dad, but the whole time there's kind of something unresolved and weird in the background. Do you remember that, that Uncle Scar? He's just kind of like, he doesn't show up for the ceremony at the beginning. He's got this weird kind of devious, I don't know, it's like it's, uh, something's going to happen. So we're going through life, and life is good, and they're singing, and there's the water hole, and et cetera, et cetera. More singing, more birds, more Elton John. But then what happens? Uncle Scar murders Mufasa, and it's blamed on Simba. And Simba Rather than standing up to his uncle, he runs away. He goes in the desert, and, and Scar says, run away and, and never return, or something along the lines of that. And he does. And he encounters one of the greatest half-truths in all of movie cinema. It sounds like really good advice. It sounds like, wow, this is how I should live my life. Two little guys say, hakuna matata. And it means to put your behind behind you. And it sounds like really excellent advice to live by. But the problem is it's a half-truth. Put your behind behind you is simply saying, take your past, let it go, move on. But you're not ever dealing with it. And Simba quickly realizes that there is a problem with Hakuna Matata, because as much as there's a fun song, 
Nala comes and she says, hey, it's not all Hakuna Matata. There's still real issues going on at Pride Rock. We need your help. There's unresolved stuff. And Simba's still not ready to deal with it. He's like, I I'm not sure. I feel weird about this. And finally, he gets hit in his head by a monkey named Rafiki. Remember Rafiki? And so he realizes that the past isn't something you can run from, but it's something you can learn from. And he says, okay, I've got these unresolved issues in my life. I have these things that I need to lay to rest. I have these things that seem impossible, insurmountable, and I simply need to accept them as they are. And I can't pretend they don't exist because they do. And I have to go back and I have to face the truth. And he does. And it's really interesting because that's the story of the Lion King, but that also is the story of the very end of the book of Joshua. And you might say, huh? I, I don't remember reading that. Well, we're going to read the last four verses, of, four or five verses of Joshua today. Joshua chapter 24, verses 29 to 33. And you're going to see that by this time, it's, it's the end of Joshua's life. He's now on his deathbed, and he's getting all his affairs in order, and he's making sure everything's all set. And a lot of things have been solved. Let's look at a couple of things that have been solved. There was slavery in Egypt, and the people have been liberated. That's great. Now they're free. They're free to love God and serve him and live their lives. There was disobedience and 40 years of wandering in the desert, and a lot of mistakes and a lot of issues, but they're now learning to trust God. There was a lot of self-will run wild. Even during the conquest, some people decided it was a good idea to not follow God and instead take some jewels and some treasures buried under the tent and Hakuna Matata pretended it didn't exist. And it did. And the people learned, okay, we need to live faithfully to God. But there was still a problem. We like to say there's a problem in the text. There's something unfulfilled that Joshua had to deal with at the end of his life. He had a Joseph problem. And you can say, I don't remember Joseph. Well, Donny Osmond played Joseph in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, if you remember that. Uh, any dream will do. But um, in Genesis, we learn about this guy, Joseph, and he's in the line of Abraham. And he's got all these brothers, and he's got a really nice coat, and he's got dreams, and he's really inspired, and he's really fun, and he's kind of a big deal. He's like this young, exciting leader. He's not the oldest son, but he's the most exciting of the sons, and he's really got this calling from God. He's able to, he's got these dreams, and he's got this wisdom, and it's amazing. And his brothers don't look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. You know what they look at that and say? Life would be better if we threw him down a well. So what do they do? They throw him down a well. And if that was enough, then they sell him into Egypt, and then they lie about it, and they do this whole thing where they smear blood all over the coat, etc. You can read about it in Genesis, but that's not the point. The point is, there was something unresolved there. There was an issue, and it creates this whole pattern. And it's never been resolved, and here's why. Because eventually that guy Joseph doesn't disappear. He doesn't die in obscurity. He actually, again, he's this young man with an amazing gift from God, an amazing love for God, and he continues living the right way in all of his circumstances, and he rises in the ranks of Egypt, becoming number two to Pharaoh. And that means that when a famine comes to the land, Joseph's brothers actually have to go, and they rely on Joseph to save them. And he dies a hero of Egypt, 
a hero of the people. But here's where there's something resolved, and this is really important. If you see this picture of a mummy, there is a mummy in Scripture. We're going to see that Joseph's bones are unresolved. They haven't been buried. Because when he died, he was not now dead as a person under the Jewish tradition with all their burials. And in other societies, what they would do is when the, body, the person died, they would bury the body by sundown. He was mummified. And he wasn't buried. He was for a while put one place and then another place. And eventually, the Israelites were released by Pharaoh and they took the mummy with them. And so it's really clear that when we get to this point in the text, the bones of Joseph, the mummy, hasn't been laid to rest. It's outstanding. It hasn't been dealt with. And it doesn't fit in with society. You have a society that doesn't do mummies and they're carrying this mummy. And while it doesn't explicitly say it in the text that it's there, we know that it's there in each part of the story because it's here at the end of Joshua. We know that the bones don't magically go from Egypt to here. They've carried it with them through each part. So imagine you're crossing the Red Sea and there's, you're dragging a mummy with you. And you're wandering the desert. There's the mummy. Oh, and you are now coming into the promised land and there's this campaign. And look, at camp, we got a mummy. Oh, we're going around the walls of Jericho. Here comes the mummy with us. They have this unresolved thing that has just been continued to never be dealt with, never resolved. It's not been put to rest. It's not been, it's not been dealt with in the right way. And so they still have this problem. Every time the people saw the mummy, they would be reminded, oh yeah, this whole history only happened because the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. Captivity in Egypt... Exodus, all of it happened because of this initial disobedience. God could have solved the famine in a different way. They didn't need to go down to Egypt in captivity. This happened because of this initial issue. And so this mummy is the reminder. But now, here's the thing. In our lives, we too carry mummies. We carry things that are unresolved, that are the result of maybe a disobedience, maybe of a time where we made a compromise and we just said, eh, I'm going to hukuna matata it. I'm going to put my behind behind, but it didn't go away. It was never dealt with. We have these things in our lives that need to be laid to rest. You know, it can be a little thing. I always read every, it seems like every year or so, there's a funny story on the New York Times about a person from like the 1970s finally returning an old library book. And they're like, I calculated all the fines and it should have been $45,000. So I wrote a nice little check and a note to the library. So maybe it could be something as simple as that. But more often, the unresolved thing isn't a library book. Usually, it's something a little more troubling a little more difficult, a little more unsettling. We have a phrase, and we'll come back to this, but we have a phrase in our society, we call these skeletons in the closet. For, for the people of Israel, this was the mummy. For us, we may think, okay, I don't have a mummy, but I have skeletons in the closet I don't want to come out. They need to be laid to rest, but instead I'm just gonna pretend they don't exist. Now, something that happened in the history of our congregation, we did a merger a couple of years ago. Two weeks into the merger, we had a really interesting note and an envelope with $7 in it. And in this note, it said, Dear Duxbury Church, I want to write to you, and I'm an adult now, but when I was younger, 
I was a little kid and I decided that I was going to steal money out of the offering plate. And it was $7. Now, if we think about this, that's not a huge amount of money. But this person carried this burden with them for years and years and years. This $7, it wasn't about the money. It was about the disconnect. We'll get into this. But the tension between their belief and their actions. And they did something that they deeply regretted. And it troubled them. And finally, they said, you know what? I'm going to lay it to rest. And so they wrote the letter, put the $7 in the envelope, sent it to the church, and were able to let go. And for us, we are being often, many of us are today called to lay something to rest. Maybe it's a library book. Maybe it's $7 we stole as a child. But more likely, it's something that's become a mummy in our life, something that is out of place. It's a skeleton in the closet. We're just saying, wow, it's unresolved. I don't know what to do. And so if that's the case, we're going to look at the text and we're going to see what we need to find out about how to move forward, how to lay it to rest. And the first clue is legacy. And legacy, I, I, I created this little chart. I, I don't do great graphics, so I apologize for the white background, but I tried to chart this out. You got beliefs, you got actions, and the intersection of that is your legacy. So let's think about our beliefs for a second. We've got religious beliefs. We love God. Um, we believe in Jesus. We believe in ideals like marriage and family and community, um, in ideas like baptism and dedication and communion. These are all beliefs we have. Um, we believe in the, go outside of just the church in our society, we believe in the value of education, we, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We have these beliefs. I have a belief that The Lion King is the greatest movie of all time. Um, our actions, that doesn't need any ex explanation. We know what our actions are. But the beliefs are the why, and the actions are the what. And where they intersect, where they come together, that is what we will be remembered for. And so if there is a time where there's a disconnect between the beliefs and actions, that's where the mummy is created. That's where the skeleton in the closet happens. That's where the $7 in the envelope comes from. At the times where I believed one way, but my actions led me to do something different and there was that disconnect, it's kind of like what happened with those brothers. They believed in God. They followed the promise of Abraham but their action was to throw their brother down the well, and now there was a disconnect, and literally that led to this creation of this mummy out of place in their society, in their culture, and it was something unresolved they had to deal with. This idea of legacy. There was unfinished business for Israel by the time Joshua come around, because they've just been for years dealing with this disconnect and never laying it to rest. Every time the people saw the mummy, they relived that history of throwing the brother down the well. And so let's look right in the text at 29 to 30. So Joshua 24, 29 to 30. Joshua's life is over. And all of us will come to a point in our lives where our lives come to an end. And so it's helpful to say, okay, when my life comes to an end and my actions and beliefs on earth are looked at, what will the legacy be? And let's look here. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, a servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnasarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. So like what will happen for all of us, again, Joshua's life came to an end. And let's look at 
Okay, what were his actions? Verse 31 shows us the intersection of his actions and beliefs. We see what his legacy was in this verse. This verse, if you're saying, okay, we've the whole summer been looking at the book of Joshua, what's his legacy? Underline this verse because it's going to show you Joshua's legacy. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So his legacy was that in his decision-making, there was continuity between the beliefs and the actions. He hadn't added to the mummy, but the mummy still existed. And we'll come to this later in the text. Let's think about our legacy for a moment. If I say, let's say I work for a company that I'm really on board with the mission of the company. I think it's a really great company. It really gives back and it's got a good goal, and it's got core values. Let's say that I work for that company, and I say, oh, I'm really on board with the core values, but I have a hard time meeting deadlines, and I rarely show up for work on time. There begins to be a mummy created. There's a discontinuity between the beliefs and the actions. There's something unresolved. And at some point, I'm going to have to lay it to rest. Maybe I'm going to not deal with it, and it's going to work itself out. Maybe I'll lose my job. Or maybe I'll just not be very well liked at work. Or maybe I can say, you know what? Yes, there's a discontinuity between the fact that I like the, I'm on board with the core values, so I gotta have my actions follow suit, and I gotta lay to rest disobedience I've had, and I gotta move forward. And that's not just in companies. Let's talk about family for a moment. It's my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Laura. So I won't out her age because I guess at this point we're not supposed to out our wife's age. Uh, she's 25. No, she's not really. Um, but let's say, so I've got, I've got my wife, Laura, and I've got two kids. And let's say I love my family. I do. And I, and I profess that. And so that's my belief. But my action is I'm constantly prioritizing other things over getting to family meal and doing bedtime and going on dates with my wife, and quality time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There becomes a discontinuity, and it starts to create a mummy that I have to deal with. You can call it a skeleton in the closet. You can call it a mummy. Call it whatever you want, but that starts to develop. Let's say that I love Jesus in my heart, but my actions don't reflect a love for Christ, and I'm treating people poorly, and I'm being really rude and judgmental. A discontinuity is created, and a mummy is there. Because remember, with Joshua and the Israelites, they said things, and, and it wasn't Joshua, it was really especially the people, but they said things like, oh yeah, I love God, I love my neighbor, I do all the other Ten Commandments, but there was still something unresolved. Joshua knew at the end of his life that something had to be laid to rest once and for all. We talked about that mummy being created in a weird context outside of their society. Now they've been carrying this mummy. Joshua realized at the very end, I have to be the one to lay it to rest because otherwise future generations are going to have to deal with it. If, if not me, then the next leader is still going to have this mummy kicking around. It's got to be laid to rest. And in our lives, if we realize that if there's this discontinuity and we're not going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, I've messed up, forgive me. Because this is repentance, the idea of turning away from ourselves and turning towards God is huge in the entire Bible. You can open up the Old Testament, you can open up the New Testament. It is like literally everywhere. You can think of a million times. And so I'm going to give a couple examples of 
some Christians in life who've given us kind of non-examples for this, but don't think that I'm calling them out. We're able to look at people who messed up and stumbled before us, and it gives us the opportunity to learn lessons and make decisions today. Just like with characters in the Bible, King David did some really horrible stuff, and he had to repent. So if we don't lay our mummies to rest, in all different generations, we see the consequences of it. And it's really interesting. I've picked three leaders, one for each generation of, of kind of the main represented generations here. So we got baby boomers here. We got millennials. We got Gen, um, Gen Z. And Gen X, you notice that I didn't include you because I couldn't really find a leader who messed up that you guys looked up to. So maybe that's coming. Maybe it won't happen. But Ravi Zacharias, for us millennials, was a huge deal. He had a profound impact on me, the idea of defending my faith, um, apologetics, being able to have rational conversations with people who disagree with you, not just writing them off, but talking through it. It was amazing. But unfortunately, and I won't go into the details, unfortunately, there were mummies in his life that were never resolved, skeletons in the closet that came out and totally tainted the legacy. For those of us who are baby boomers, Bill Hybels, just walk across the room, the idea of, hey, there's people here, we can just reach out, get to know them, Willow Creek. It was an amazing idea, but unfortunately, there were mummies that were created that were never dealt with, and eventually they came out. And if he had simply dealt with them as they were, maybe he would have had to resign, but the legacy would have been different. Maybe he wouldn't have had to resign, and he wouldn't have done all the hush-hush and all the weird stuff, and instead, that church could have just moved forward because the legacy of Bill Hybels ended up almost destroying that church. When we create mummies in our lives and don't deal with them, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts the people around us. And for our Gen Z friends, Carl Lentz, friend of Justin Bieber, um, pastor of Hillsong NYC, this whole thing happened a year ago. And I don't point these out to shame them because again, the people in the Bible, other than Jesus and Daniel, totally mess up and do totally awful stuff. We as Christians here can learn from the failings of others and not make those mistakes. Because failure, here's a quote from me, failure to deal with the mummy doesn't make the mummy go away. If we just say, hey, it doesn't exist, hakuna matata, I'm going to put my behind behind me, the problem is, is that doesn't solve anything. It just kicks the can down the road. And eventually when it comes out, it's not on our terms and we haven't repented to God. Now things are just awkward and uncomfortable and people resign and it's difficult. I tell my kids, I'm a school teacher. It's what I call the home alone principle. If you've seen home alone, Kevin believed that he made his family disappear. He didn't. When you don't do a homework assignment, it doesn't disappear. You get a zero. Also, there's an extra cost. The next homework assignment is easier to not do. If you flunk a quarter, the quarter doesn't go away. It becomes easier to flunk another quarter. If you flunk a class, the class doesn't go away. You have to make it up, and it becomes easier to flunk other classes. If you stay back a grade because you failed a bunch of classes, it doesn't go away. It's now easier to stay back more grades, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that gets to this idea, also present in the text of loops. Life is full of cycles, 
And when there's negative, we talked about that idea of, okay, I've got my beliefs and I've got my actions. And when there's a disconnect, that creates a mummy. And now here's the thing. We can think, okay, yeah, I'm going to run away from it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to hakuna matata, run into the wilderness. Moses did this. Simba did this. Okay, problem. Today is, April, uh, is August 29th. Look at the calendar. It's August 29th, 2021. We're going to come to another August 29th. By definition, life is full of cycles. It's full of loops. Things don't just happen once and we never again. We come back to it. There's patterns. We're entering a school year. If I have unresolved things with the beginning of a school year and I don't deal with them now, at the beginning of the next school year, I have to deal with them. And all of our lives can be looked at in terms of positive and negative loops. There's these cyclical nature of everything we go through. If we have negative unresolved issues that keep coming back, maybe it's simply, oh, I had a, I'll give an example. Let's say someone had a big fight with a family member on Thanksgiving. The problem is, is that you can move on for the rest of the year, but when you come back to the next Thanksgiving, look, you're now there at the dinner table, and now there's that family member, and it's a loop. We're back to where we were before, and if we didn't deal with it, we come right back around. There are big loops and small loops in our life. Some big loops are like schooling, friendships, our faith walk, family history, marriage, career path, and there's smaller loops, right? I talked about that home alone mentality, that home alone principle, the one assignment. But the thing with the one assignment, whether it's a school or work, right? I'm not just talking about students. We have work assignments. If I just punt on that one work assignment, next work assignment, am I going to make the same compromises this time? Or am I going to deal with the mummy and things are going to get resolved and laid to rest? Volunteer opportunity, if I just say, hey, I'm going to sign up to help out and I blow it off, okay, the next time, I still have to deal with the fact that last time I no-showed. Let's say that it's one meal. Let's say, oh, I'm just prioritizing other things and I had made this commitment to show up for my family dinner and I just, I'm not going to go. Okay, yes, it's one time, but the problem is life is loops, it's cycles, and so when we come to the next meal, again, it's now easier to compromise the second time. And if there's a disconnect between our beliefs and our actions, it's going to be that every time we go through that loop, it's going to be easier and easier and easier to compromise and lean into that mummy instead of laying things to rest. And if you say, okay, that's great, but that sounds kind of like a 21st century concept. How is that present in the text? Let's look at this. So just like seasons, each new generation of the Israelite people going from the brothers all the way to the time of Joshua, dealt with these same loop cycles. Captivity in Egypt. Clearly nothing was laid to rest because, yeah, the brothers threw Joseph down the well and into slavery, and they did a major, major bad thing. And clearly nothing was learned because by the time Moses comes around, they're still in captivity, and Moses kills a guy, and he doesn't deal with it. He doesn't come face to face with reality and accept it on life's terms, but he runs away into the wilderness. Then, okay, yeah, but God comes through. There's the whole burning bush thing. So things get resolved, don't they? No, we keep looping because now Moses is up on the mountain getting, literally talking to God. Imagine you had a friend talking to God and you're like, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to go talk to God, like directly. Um, but the people, 
they aren't content with this. Instead, what do they do? They say, hey, Aaron, Moses isn't coming back down. Make us a, make us a golden calf to worship. And so once again, they take their will back and run away. So the loop continues. And you can say, okay, David, but then that, we heard about that. That generation died out and the new generation came into the promised land, built an altar. Yes, but remember then at Ai, after the victory at Jericho, at Ai, a guy named Achan and his family decide, hey, let's compromise again. And so let's steal and let's bury it all from our tent, all the jewels under our tent, pretend it doesn't exist. Because they never dealt with the original problem. What was the original problem? The Joseph issue. They never dealt with the fact that they had this unresolved mummy, and so things just kept going cyclical, looping, 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 generation to generation, and nothing was ever really learned. Failure to deal with the mummy simply passed it on to the next generation, and the next and the next for literally 500 years. And so what we can do is we can say, okay, Let's trace the loop all the way back to the source. And Joshua said, as I'm laying here dying, this isn't going to continue. I'm not going to let this go one more. Yes, we have this mummy. It's weird that we have this mummy. It's out of our culture and out of our context, and it doesn't make any sense. It's incongruent. And so what, instead of just saying, oh, I'm not going to deal with it, we're going to put the bones to rest and bury it. Look at the text. Verse 32. They buried them, the bones, think the mummy, at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. So in modern times, we call these skeletons in the closet, right? So the reality is, is that they did not deal with it. They didn't deal with their skeletons. But now, now Joshua is saying, okay, it's time to resolve this once and for all. He wanted to make sure to lay this to rest. And what about us? We find ourselves, maybe it's a big thing, maybe it's a little thing. We have unresolved things where there's not harmony between our actions and our beliefs. Are we willing to kind of continue that cycle, keep looping, and to say, hey, you know what? It's 2021. I'm going to kick the can down the road. We'll, we'll see you in 2022. Or are we going to say, you know what? Wow. Just like Joshua ended his time by saying, enough, we're going to bury the bones, can we finally lay things to rest? Because if we've created a mummy, what we're looking for is we're looking for liberation. We're looking for freedom. We're looking for things to go back so that we're not saying, wow, I feel stuck. This is awful. Because one of the whole things with the gospel message is, wow, I want liberty and freedom in Christ. I want to be able to say I'm not stuck with my sin. We know that every chain is broken by Jesus. But the challenge is, is that if we choose to voluntarily resubmit to sin and intentionally not let something go, now we're dealing with this. And now we're feeling a lack of liberation. We're feeling like, wow, there's this mummy, there's this tension, there's this unresolved thing. There's this problem that has never been dealt with. I need to lay it to rest. Because remember, the whole reason that they were here, they went back in the conquest. The whole reason that they go back in the conquest is simply because they had initially walked away from the promised land. So they have to re-enter 500 years later because they threw the brother down the well, ended up here, needed to go through this whole process. A new chapter 
could begin once they finally laid the bones to rest. And you could say, David, that's confusing because the final verse in the text doesn't seem like a new chapter. It's another funeral. So let's look at the final verse for a second. This is the final verse in Joshua. It seems like a strange final verse because you've got this victorious leader. They're now following God. They've now settled the land. They've figured out a new society. And it ends with a funeral? Look at verse 33. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeoth, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. The reality is, is by finally laying to rest the old cycle, this was the beginning of something new. They created a new family plot and said, hey, we've been in this whole cycle of disobedience, but the bones of Joseph have now been laid to rest, and now we can do something new. This person who died, Eliezer, was the second high priest. Aaron was Moses' brother. Remember Moses who brought them out of Egypt into the wandering, went up on the mountain, had run away into the wilderness himself, but it comes to terms with that. And so now you've got this new person, and he's died, and they're able to say, hey, we're starting a new process. It's a new chapter. There's freedom. There's liberation. We're able to now just live as a people in this land. This is our promised land. God is with us. Because when we live Christ-centered lives, we can start a new chapter. We don't need to carry the mummy anymore. We can stop running away from the loops, and we can realize, okay, if there's an issue between my actions and my beliefs— I can surrender to God and I can say, hey, God, I don't want to go one more day in this cycle. How would you have me proceed? I surrender. I repent. I turn from myself. I turn towards you. What would you have me do? Because here's the thing. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. We don't need to live under the yoke of a mummy. We don't have to live under the chains of a mummy. A yoke is a, if you've ever seen the Oregon Trail, if you're, a, if you're my age, you'll know the Oregon Trail was a computer game. And you used to have oxen, and they would travel from Independence, Missouri, all the way to Oregon, and they would have this big wooden yoke. Well, they had this in the ancient world, too. And it literally made it so that animals could only do certain things. When we have a mummy in our life, it becomes an unnecessary yoke. It becomes an unnecessary thing that makes us feel stuck and upset and like things aren't good, and like, wow, I need to lay something to rest. Galatians is very clear. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Whether that slavery, he's specifically talking about the slavery of intentionally saying, I have to follow specific laws and regulations, but any yoke, any extra, any extra thing that we have to fall under, any mummy, we don't need to submit to it. We can let go. We can feel liberation. And so today, we're invited to lay it to rest. We're invited to say, hey, there's a really simple thing that happens in the text. Joshua comes to the end and says, I'm not going to have the bones go to one more generation. They're going to be buried and laid to rest, and we can move forward. The same for us. If we find that there's something unresolved in our lives that we need to repent from, realize it exists, accept it on life's terms, we can lay it to rest, we can give it to God, and we can move forward. And now sometimes with concepts like this, you may say, okay, that's fine. This seems like a concept you came up with in your car on the ride to church today. So I want to tell you how this is real in my life. 
Now, I never threw my brother down the well. Todd will tell you that. He lives in Ohio, not in Egypt, not in a well. And I never uh, killed someone and ran into the wilderness like Moses. But when we moved here in 2005, you were all excited because you got Pastor Stan. But I came here kicking and screaming. It was in the middle of my high school, and I loved my old school. I was the vice president of my class. I was a varsity runner. I was leads in plays. I loved it. It was awesome. I didn't want things to change. And we came here. And rather than just accepting life's on life's terms, of course I was 16, so it's hard for teenagers if you have a teenager. But the reality is, is that I didn't accept it. I was frustrated. I started creating this mummy. There was this discontinuity between my beliefs. I believed in, in Jesus, and I believed that my family was important and was being called here. But my actions were resentful and frustrated. And so I did things like refused to do drama for my junior year. And it just, that doesn't sound like a big thing, but it just made me frustrated and angry. And just, I had more, ugh, just this, this mummy started to develop. And, and then I said, okay, yeah, I, I run, but I'm, I'm not going to take the year seriously. I'm not going to try for this team. And so I quit on races and I had a bad attitude and the mummy just continued to develop. And eventually, yes, I graduated, but there was all this frustration. And I started saying, okay, it's going to be better when I get to college. You know, I'm just going to hakuna matata my way, put my behind behind me, and when I get to college, life's going to be great. And you know what happened at college? All the same issues kept happening. The mummy kept growing. Resentments, frustrations, not being able to get along with people, not accepting the authority other people had, and eventually I drop out of college, and I'm sitting on my parents' couch. And then... So you would now think David would wake up and he would say, well, a mummy has developed. It's time to give it to God and to move forward. But instead, kicking and screaming, I become a part-time aide in a special ed program. And while it's nice doing stuff with kids, I'm just thinking, oh, at some point I'm going to be able to do something actually meaningful. I'm just, everyone else has moved beyond me and I just had this frustration, this angst and this anger. And it just kept being more bitter and more bitter and more frustrated. And rather than appreciating the opportunities for those next four years of being a aide, I just was frustrated and annoyed, and it kept developing this mummy. But then there wasn't some grand gesture that happened. I didn't stop and say, you know, I need to write a profound uh, Angela's Ashes autobiography. I didn't say, wow, I need to give this amazing TED Talk, or I now I need to come up with some invention. What happened? to end the cycle was I had a moment where I felt a strange peace and assurance. When I went to graduation, as the first year that I was, I was a long-term sub and I was a teacher at this point, and I was invited, even though I wasn't a full member of the faculty, hey, David, if you stand in the back of the seniority line, we'll let you put on your robe and stand there for graduation. And I put my robe on and I sat there and I thought, okay, I can do one of two things. I can continue being miserable or I can realize, yes, this robe is kind of dorky. Yes, I haven't loved the journey here. But I love my school. I love my town. I love these kids. God's placed me here for a reason. I can accept life on life's terms. And I just started realizing life is what it is. I don't have to change it. I can just accept it. And I was able to lay to rest all that frustration and anger. And in the years since, I'm not going to say that I've loved every minute of being a teacher. 
I'm not going to say that the pandemic year last year was hard, wasn't hard, or this year, with especially this first month or two or the full year, whatever it's going to be, won't be difficult. But I was able to say, you know what? I'm not going to continue living miserably. And so originally when I thought of, okay, so what does this text ask us to do? I thought, hey, maybe we can all call up a Christian friend and say, hey, you know what? Um, I got to get right with God. Let's talk about it. Help me move forward. Maybe that's the case. There was that person in Duxbury who had taken the $7 and felt the need to make amends. Maybe you're being called to do something like that today. Maybe there is a mummy in your life and you're saying, okay, yes, this happened. It needs to be resolved. Then say yes to God and do it. But maybe you're more like me and maybe you simply need to let things go and start to just say, hey, life isn't perfect. I don't live some storybook ending, but God's got me and I'm following his leading and his calling in my life and that's enough. And I can let go of the ghosts of the past. I can stop being so miserable and so frustrated and I can say, you know what? God, you're leading and guiding and that's enough. And when we can come to that point, we can start to lay things to rest. So if that's you, I invite you to not do some grand gesture, not to feel like you need to do some big thing because it's not about our works. It's not about us doing something. I invite you to simply surrender and say, you know what, God, I'm sick of the mummy. Take the mummy from me. Do I need to do something that you're asking me to do? Then Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, show me what that is. And if it's simply that I need to accept life on life's terms and come to peace with it, God, give me the strength today and each day to simply let go. Let's pray. Father God, you lead us, you guide us. And we know that as we come to this next part of our journey, Joshua, at the end of his life, knew he had to lay the ghosts of the past, the mummy of Joseph, to rest. We know that in our hearts, each of us is being called to leave something alone, to let it lie, to lay it to rest. God, give us the courage and the strength and the willingness to be honest about the past, to be truthful and say, you are leading and guiding in my life. I am not defined by my mistakes, but I'm not going to be dishonest about them either. Lord, I leave this to you. What would you have me do? And God, with that brave act, we ask that you would honor it and lead us, guide us, and allow us to enter that new chapter. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.